Well, welcome to Leader Lab. My guest today is Dr. Brett Simmons. Dr. Simmons, welcome. And uh, who are you and what do you do? Dave, thanks for having me. I really appreciate this. Uh, I'm Brett Simmons. I'm a uh, assistant professor of management at the College of Business at the University of Nevada in Reno. I teach courses in uh, organizational behavior, management research, and uh, more recently in uh, personal branding. And uh, I do my research. I kind of brand myself as a positive organizational behavior research. So I research employees, um, and I'm mainly interested in what uh, affects employee performance and uh, employee health. Uh, just recently started uh, my own website, www.brettlsimmons.com, um, where I blog about leadership, management, personal branding, stuff like that. Uh, got my Ph.D. in business administration from Oklahoma State University uh, in 2000, and before that I probably spent 17, 18 years um, on the front lines working. I was never an executive. I was always a frontline, mid-level guy. So my perspective on leadership is is always um, for those people mainly that are being led. So um, that good enough? That tell you what you need to know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I'm right there with you. I, I think leadership begins on those front lines. So let's let's talk about that for a second. You you have an interesting dynamic in that you sort of see into the academic world and also the corporate world, having been there and also. Uh, teaching university students and things. So when it comes to leadership and organizational theory, do you notice a difference between teaching the university students and, and training corporate clients and working with corporate clients on the front lines in terms of receptivity to theory and a willingness to embrace it? Yeah, you know, it's always tough. People have a, a resistance to theory. When you mention the term theory, um, you know, they they immediately become defensive and think that, oh, shoot, you know, that's, Nothing I really need to know. But uh, everyone needs to realize that you are guided by a theory. You have a theory, and the theory is, is really nothing more than the things that you think are important and then what you believe uh, you have to do to get those things that you think are important. So everyone is guided by a theory, even though they might not realize it. So theory informs our behavior, and it's, it's always useful to um, be clear about what our theories are since we're operating on them anyway. And, um, you know, when I teach leadership, uh, I always tell my students, or even when I'm training on leadership, you know, my not my job is not to walk in here and tell you the way things are. You already know the way things are. My job is to really kind of paint a picture of how things could be and how things should be so that you can... Uh, stretch yourself and try to work towards that. So um, that that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, I like that. that every, everybody has a theory already, one they're operating on. The, the difference is some some people will learn what the established research ones are, and some people will develop it through trial and error, but everybody has a theory. Yeah, I, I think like you it. have to have multiple theories as well, because, um, you know, especially with leadership, and I'm not a leadership researcher, but um, leadership is very similar to um, motivational theory. There's just no single theory that explains everything. So you need to be aware of the the uh, number of different ways to be able to explain the things that you see in different contexts so that when you find yourself in a context and your current framework for explanation doesn't work, that, that you're not 
left with nothing to hang on, that you can reach down into your bag and find another framework to try to explain what it is you're seeing and that can hopefully guide your action to be effective in that context. Oh, I, I'm, I'm right there with you, absolutely. I, I remember when I was in grad school, one of my uh, professors introduced me to this concept that all, all theory is useful lies in a sense that it's very useful because it explains some, some things, but in other cases it's lies because it doesn't explain it, and so you need to know all of them so you know which one to pull out of your bag and which one applies right. when, you're doing, when you're doing whatever you're doing. Yeah. So unfortunately, there is no there is no single law of the universe on uh, on employee behavior and leadership, and there's no formula, there's no prescription. So you, you need to have a variety of perspectives um, to absolutely. be able to approach it and figure it out. And we don't have a unified theory of physics, and we don't have one of leadership or organizational behavior either. Well, that that begs the question then: when you're teaching or when you're working with corporate clients in a training setting, do, do you tend to favor certain theories or the work of certain individuals over others? Yeah, you know, I always try to be. Um, I always try to come from an evidence-based approach. Um, so I, I try to be guided by the research, not necessarily so much on leadership, but on employee effectiveness. What is it that drives employee performance? And again, I'm down at the employee level, at the behavioral level. So. Um, I mean, I, I, uh, we have good research to tell us some of the biggest predictors of employee behavior and performance. And, uh, and we have some frameworks to tie how individual performance can kind of um, uh, can affect top-line sales and other things that companies are interested in. And then I do have a framework that, um, you know, that I use to help me guide myself back to, okay, now that I understand all of this, What's this mean for me as a manager today? What's the most important thing I need to be doing today if I want to get these outcomes in my employees um, so that eventually I can see these outcomes in my uh, top-line sales? So I do have a framework that I use um, and, a, and a philosophical bent, if you will, um, to work on that. Well, well, walk us through that framework or, or how you go about determining what, uh, what yeah. research or what theories you're going to use. Well, um, you know, let me say first off that, uh, you know, leadership, management, whatever term we want to call it, it is inherently philosophical. I mean, we've, we've talked about theory, but it's also philosophical. You have some things that you believe, you have a framework that you're coming from. And uh, there is, again, no single philosophical framework that everyone's going to agree to. You need to pick one and you need to identify what it is. And uh, then you need to be consistent with it. I mean, if you've got a framework that you're using, you need to be constantly testing it. That is also a theoretical approach. Where does it work? Where doesn't it work? Where do the things I believe hold true? Where do they not hold true? So, um, I mean, I'm a big believer in this framework called the service profit chain. Um, and, it, and it really kind of comes more from the marketing research, but it talks to us about uh, how we get um, top-line sales. And uh, that's really through uh, customer loyalty and customer satisfaction where we're just impressing the socks off of our customers. And, uh, and so that tells us, you know, what do we need to do to impress the socks off of our customers? Well, we need to pay attention to their needs. We need to not just meet their expectations. We need to exceed their expectations. And, uh, well, how do we exceed the expectations of our customers? As a manager, you need to understand clearly that you are not going to impress your customers. It's your employees that do it. 
And if your employees are not impressing your customers, your customers are not being impressed, except maybe by your competitor who is in the business of retraining your customers what to expect from products and services. They want your customers, and they're more than happy to retrain your customers. So since we as managers know that we can't do it, it's our employees that impress our customers. The employees that are in the best position to impress our customers are the ones that have been around a while, that know their jobs, that, uh, that are committed to their jobs, and, uh, and, uh, and the customers know them as well. If you are working in a place where you're a turnover mill, and you're uh, turning over employees right and left, and they're always going up the learning curve, they're hardly in a place to even meet your customers' expectations, um, not to less exceed them. So um, you need to have a way to retain employees, and those employees need to need to be satisfied and committed to what they're doing. And so then that takes us back to the very you know start of the framework. How do you get these satisfied, committed employees that are going to stay around and uh, be prepared to impress your customers, you got to be exceeding their expectations. You have to be attuned to what they need and what they're looking for. And so that, I mean, that tells me on a daily basis, the single most important thing I need to do if I want to grow my top line is to take care of my employees. Because if I'm not taking care of my employees, they are not taking care of my customers. If I'm not taking care of my customers, I'm bleeding revenue. If I'm bleeding revenue, there's no way I can make a profit. So, I mean, that leads me into my into my philosophical framework in leadership is that as a leader, my job is to be a resource. I really have to find out what my employees need to get their jobs done. And, and my role as a leader is an enabler to give them the knowledge, skills, abilities, tools, and the autonomy to go out and, and make that happen. Now, I know that's a long story, but <laughs> but there it is. No, that's a, that's a that's a great a great example. And I'm, I'm I'm thinking about the whole time as you're talking. I'm thinking about organizations like Zappos.com and oh, yeah. that sort of thing, and, and how that leadership just trickles down all the way down to the to the front line level and producers <clears throat> insanely loyal customers. So now I I know you do a lot of uh, work also in the area of positive organizational behavior. Can you can you talk to us about that a little more? Explain what that is a little more and and how you go about that. Yeah, you know that's kind of an an emerging uh, field, and um, it kind of is an offshoot of positive psychology, um, the stuff from Martin Seligman, and um, I really I kind of backed into it. I was. Uh, you know, starting to study stress when I was a doctoral student. And it just kind of it just kind of annoyed me that stress was always framed in the negative. That we were always looking for indicators of disease and dysfunction and always looking for the bad stuff. And uh, and, and I just asked the question, well, why can't we go look for the good stuff as well? And you can't just look for one in isolation. But uh and so that was kind of how I backed into positive organizational behavior as I was looking for positive indicators of of a response to a stressful situation, which I call eustress or good stress. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's when I became aware of some stuff going on in positive uh, psychology. Um, so positive organizational behavior is just getting started. It's a brand new, wide open field. It's got a lot of lot of challenges um but um it's going to it's going to add a good voice to uh to the field 
Oh, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I, I think as positive psychology is growing in the psychology movement in general, it, it only makes sense that it would take a spillover into the organizational yeah. world and the world of, of corporations. Yeah, so. you know, I, I'm really big on the positive. Of course, I hang my hat there. But there, I mean, we, there are some dangers and downsides to the positive as well. I mean, it can be, if you, it can have the same downfalls as as the negative did. When we were focusing on disease and dysfunction, we almost totally ignored um, the positive, and and we could fall into the same thing with the negative. We're, we're, we could just be so focused on the positive that we don't see the flip side of the coin. And in truth, both of those are working simultaneously, positive and negative things. And the other thing that really concerns me as a leader is that, you know, if people buy into this positive framework and they're so sold on being positive, what they're going to be doing is creating a situation where their employees are afraid to come forward with any bad news because they might think their leader only wants to hear the good, positive things. And it is from failure from negative things, from gaps where you really learn the most. And my big concern about this this uh, hyper-infatuation with the positive is that we're going to drown out a lot of important voices um, and a lot of important information that we need to be hearing. Interesting word of warning, as it were. So let, let me ask you this transitioning a little bit. What are you, what are you reading now and what are you studying? <laughs> Well, it's interesting. I um I am in Vegas, as you know, and uh, I just got a book in the mail by Seth Godin, um, and uh, so I'm reviewing his new book called Lynchpins. Oh, you managed, to get a, you managed to get on that list? I'm jealous. I'm on the list, and uh, love Seth Godin, and uh, I like what he's saying. I'm totally on board, but uh, you know, I will tell you, I do not recommend a lot of leadership books um, because. You know, there's frankly, there's a ton of them. Most of them are anecdotal um, and, frankly, just garbage. I mean, that's what I tell my students. Most of what you can pick up off the shelf is really just garbage or, worse yet, recycled garbage. There's very little new stuff under the sun. There's very little real evidence-based work out there. Um, so, I don't, you know, I don't read a whole lot of leadership books. If I were going to recommend... Anything, I'd recommend anything you can get your hands on by Bob Sutton or Jeff Pfeffer. They're real evidence-based guys. And uh, in a leadership framework, if you can get onto the work of uh, um, Jim Coos and Barry Posner, and I'm sure I, I didn't do justice to their last names, but they write the Leadership Challenge. And, and these guys come from a real, um, real research-based framework. And I also buy totally into their philosophy of leadership. And actually the book I recommend the most is uh is a book called The Fifth Discipline by Peter Senge. Came out uh years ago, but it is and it is not necessarily um so much a research based book, but it really lays the foundation for um uh, this approach called systems thinking. And I think that really will set you apart as a leader. Can you see the big picture? Can you see cause and effect? and stop reacting to episodic snapshots, which is what most leaders do. Something pops up on their radar screen, and they look for the most um, recent thing that they can point to, and they begin thinking that that was the cause of it. And actually, there are much deeper systemic root causes 
Um, and unless they can identify those and take action on those, they're going to keep addressing symptoms. They're going to be firefighters, um, and, and that's going to consume all their time. So uh, systems thinking really big on it, and that stuff by Singy is, is I probably recommend that to more people than anything else. Okay, awesome. And and I, I, I'm right there with you in, in the sense that, as you know, the mission of Leader Lab is, is to kind of try and cut down on some of that clutter and, and anecdotal leadership books and really promote a solid theory, uh, which which is yeah. interesting of, of why uh, you mentioned Seth Godin, who's, whose last book, Tribes, again, I don't know much about Lynchpin. I didn't manage to get on the list of early reviewers. But when I read Tribes, it's, it's billed as a social media type book. But in reality, it, it took my mind back to uh, the Starfish and the Spider book about leaderless organizations, which is huh. it's the well-researched book. And so I have to give, uh, I, I don't know if they'll ever listen to this, but I have to give Seth Godin props on being able to translate a, a solid research and emerging research on leadership and leaderless organizations and making it palatable to the whole world, which is impressive. Well, you know, he, um, I mean, his, this new book, Lynchpin, and it's, it's a, I mean, I'm only, you know, 50, 100 page in, but uh, it's a good book. I like, I mean, I'm totally on board with what he's saying. But he's not saying anything new. I mean, he's he's really saying stuff that Bob, you know, he's saying some of the stuff Bob Quinn wrote 10 years ago. Um, but Bob Quinn is a, an academic guy from the University of Michigan, and his books are not, you know, as widely distributed. Books on deep change and uh, building the bridge as you walk on it. And, uh, and uh, you know, some of the same ideas. There's really no new ideas in the Godin book, but he's a master of uh, telling it in a way that people will say, oh, I never thought of that before. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Well, uh, I'll, I'll give you the last question. Ironic, there's nothing new under the sun, but what's what's uh, new for uh, Brett Simmons? What are you working on now? What can we expect from you this year? You know, I um, six months ago, I started blogging. Uh, at www.brettlsimmons.com, and it is the single best decision I've made in the last 10 years. Um, you know, when you have to go public and uh, put in paper what you put, you know, put in words what you believe and what you stand behind, it really makes you very clear about, uh, about what you believe and what you're going to tell other people. And blogging is, I mean, I'm, I published a lot of stuff, but I publish mostly academic research. And when I publish academic research, it's it can be a year or more before something gets published. And I have to go through a lot of gatekeepers. But with a blog, there's no gatekeepers. I go straight to an audience, and, uh, and I'm going to go publish a blog here in an hour after we get off of this. And uh, I say what I want to say when I want to say it, and I make a commitment to what I say. And because I'm doing that, I am clearer than ever about what I believe, why I believe it, what I can tell you, how I can help you. I mean, it has been the best thing for me to uh, to just help myself, which is why you blog first and foremost. Even if no one reads it, you are archiving uh, for yourself first and foremost. Um, I call it my systematic philosophy. That was my goal when I started blogging, was just to archive my systematic beliefs and understandings about leadership and management so that I'd have them there, you know, to refer to. And then my students could go look at them. And then if anyone else wanted to read them and look at them, they were there as well. So um, it, it's, been, it's been very, very valuable. 
to me and in, in, uh, in all aspects of what I do. Hmm. So, so leaders are readers, but leaders are also bloggers in the 21st century. No, I think they need to be um, because social media is going to be really big. One of the other big reasons I got into social media was I wanted to transform myself. I know that I have a value platform, but the rules of the game around that value platform are changing, and I don't want to be a lagger. I don't want to have somebody else define the rules of the game for me, then tell me what those rules of the game are, and then give me permission to play by those new rules. I want to be I want to have a voice in the conversation about what the new rules of the game are, even if it's just a small voice. I want to give myself permission to do that. I want to learn what people are doing and why they're doing it. Because unless you understand why they're doing it, you're not in a position to truly leverage your value. Um, and so that's why I'm out there. I'm, I'm watching intently. What, what are people doing? Why are they doing it? And how can I now take my value platform, what I can do to help you address an issue or solve a problem. Um, and with this new medium, with this new technology, how can I find new ways of leveraging my value so that I can create multiple revenue streams and not just be dependent on a single paradigm, a single revenue stream? I think that's really critical, very important. As we've all seen in the last year, year and a half, when the rules of the game in so many industries are just being fundamentally rewritten. And you're going to be one of two types of people. You're going to be one of the one of the individuals that jumps in and says, I want to have a voice in defining what the new rules of the game are, or you're going to be in that large group of people that just sits back and waits for someone else to define the rules and then give them permission to play by those rules. So um, that, comes, that comes from a book by, uh, I'll recommend this book, Tina Selig, what I Wish I Knew When I Was 20. Everyone should read that book, What mm -hmm. I Wish I Knew When I Was 20. She uh, teaches entrepreneurship at Stanford. It, it's a brilliant little book, so um, pick that thing up. Well, awesome. We'll have to check that one out. We'll have to check out more on social media, particularly the website, www.brettlsimmons.com. Uh, Brett, thank you for joining us on Leader Lab today. Well, I hope it was helpful, and I really appreciate your, uh, really appreciate your time. Thanks a lot.